Well, I have wanted to do this series for such a long time. We're going to call this series Dear Suburban Church, and what we're going to do is we're going to work our way through 1 Corinthians. This is a real letter that was written to real people who are a whole lot like we are. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend some extra time with this series. I was telling uh, the group that's gathered here before we started rolling the cameras that this is a... this is going to be a longer one, and really excited. Now, we've done some extended series before. Uh, many of you were here when we did a series on Genesis, and we spent most of the summer in that book. And then just last fall, we spent eight weeks looking at what the Bible has to say about sexual identity and the issues surrounding that very important conversation. So we've had some extended series before, but we've never had one quite like this. In fact, this series is actually going to have one series, and then within this one series, twice we're going to be having a mini-series within the series. So we're going to have a mini-series, a three-week series on the Holy Spirit embedded in this series. We're also going to have a four-week series on sexual integrity within this series. And then surrounding all that, there will be ten weeks of different topics and different passages that we're going to be looking at from this particular book. And here's the thing about 1 Corinthians. So much of what we're going to be talking about in this series is so countercultural. This is going to be some really challenging, challenging stuff. One of the things that we said when we launched this church is we're not going to duck the hard teachings, the hard topics. And so this will definitely put that to the test. As you hear a little bit later, there are some things in this book that were embedded that are really challenging. So... What I decided to do before we just dove in is I thought, before we start all this heavy lifting, let's do what I call celebrate some wins. One of the things we do almost every Monday when I meet with my senior staff is we, we do this thing called celebrating the wins. Um, it's where we, we stop, we hit pause before we dive into the hard work, and we just go, let's look at what God has done. So we can come in remembering as we look at all the things yet to do, we can look back and go, oh, God is faithful. He's, he's doing this work in our midst. The reason I want to do that with all of us is I know so many of you, and I know that you're people who you really want to honor God with your lives. You want to bring your best self in whatever you do. And I'm highly aware that the series that we're just coming out of, every single week, we looked at an essential of Christian discipleship. And every single week that we did that, we looked at a continuum. We said, where are you in this journey? What's your next step? We did that all Lent. And so before we dive right in to a book of the Bible where we're going to be having these really, really difficult conversations, I thought, let's just take a deep breath. Let's celebrate what God is doing before we open up to a letter that's going to challenge us even deeper still. We're going to find blind spots that we didn't know we had at least if we're honest and reflective, we're going we're gonna to identify idols that we didn't know we had. And you'll know when that happens, when you start getting mad and defensive and you don't even want to listen to what, what the Bible's saying. So we'll, we'll, get, we'll, get, we'll get to the hard work of confronting areas where we've been conforming to the patterns of this world. But first, let's just celebrate some wins together. Does that sound good? All right, so here's a couple from just the recent, recent last couple weeks. The one I want to start with is right out in the hallway here at the studio. It is the I Said Yes display. Oh, we got to celebrate that. 
Right now, we've got about 250 names of people that have said yes to Jesus Christ, to Savior and Lord, who said, I want to be a part of that. I want to mark that milestone. And if you would like to get your name on that list because that is true for you, or if you'd like to learn more, go to Emmanuel.Church slash next, and we can start that conversation. All right, I also want to share some great news about what's happening in Juarez, Mexico. Often we're bringing bad news, right? What, what, how tough things are. Here's some great news. At the start of Lent, we told you about a matching fund that we had heard about um, with the home where there, someone was offering, an organization was offering more than $100,000 to help start the school um, and to, to rebuild this one that had, had been destroyed by a fire. Well, that organization has given that amount in full. So you take that $100,000 and then you take the additional money that's come in, including almost $9,000 from the ECC family. Now that is on top of more than $65,000 that we usually give in the course of a year through child sponsorships, through direct donations, through all these different things that we do. So because of that money that's been pooled, I was just down there, they're breaking ground on the school. Breaking ground on the school, isn't that awesome? Because they were able to do that, they hit that halfway point for having the money in the bank to complete the project. They said, this will give us, we can start that framing, this building out, this is fantastic. All right, so that's good news. More good news, right here in New Brighton, we've been talking about this network of churches that's getting together to do a pop-up clinic. A pop-up clinic at Highview Middle School. One of the biggest challenges is trying to get enough volunteers to pull something like that off, especially right now. If you talk to many nonprofits, many have never had this hard of a time trying to gather volunteers. They are completely full. If you wanted to volunteer right now, you would be on a waiting list. They had a, isn't that amazing? They had, this is so great. They also had a meeting in here. They said, hey, those that want to pray about this, um, the volunteers want to come together. They had 50 people from all kinds of different churches in this room gathering specifically to pray for this event. They have over 100 volunteers all signed up, ready to go to help some folks who could use some help and doing it together across denominational lines. Absolutely love it. All right, get this. The, I, a while back at our, um, our Remember service, I shared that one of the things that I really believe that the Lord had put on our heart was as a church, we need to double down on this next generation. They're going through a whole lot. And even as part of that sensing that this is really, really important, I was sensing that what we're going to be doing is we're going to be part of some sort of thing that's bigger than us. Something that God's going to do that's going to network other churches where we can be a resource and all this. Well, coming out of that compassion clinic, you have these churches working together. And through those conversations, one of the youth directors who's helping out with the compassion clinic heard about that. So she gives me, an e she shoots an email my way. She says, hey, can we get together because I'm really excited about this. Can I come and talk to you? And so I said, absolutely. So we scheduled a meeting. Well, after we had scheduled that meeting, somebody else, another youth director who's part of the Compassion Clinic Network, not knowing any of this, reached out to her and said, hey, do you know anything that's happening with youth ministries, any kind of network or anything like that that we could possibly be a part of? She says, I'll get right back to you. She shoots me an email. Chris, can we invite this person? I'm like, yes, absolutely. So in the forum, a week ago, Monday, we're sitting in that room with youth directors, a children's director, and we're, I, I've said, you tell me. Tell me why you're here. And they start to share. It, it was all the things that we've been talking about. God had been putting it on their hearts. It's going to be fun to see where God takes that. 
So that's another thing to celebrate. As that's developing, in less than a month, right here in, on May 8th, in this room, I'm going to be rolling out the framework for launching that brand new bilingual service. We're going to be starting with our key, vol- our key leaders and staff members. We'll be in here. We're rolling it out to them. And then from there, it's going to cascade out into town hall meetings and um, launch team invitations. And then we want to get the word out to the community in time for our outdoor services when we can really go public with this. That's just a sample. And this is the big stuff. We got so much to celebrate. So I want to just hit pause before we jump into 1 Corinthians and look at some extremely challenging passage, passages. I wanted for you, the church family, to hear, well done, good and faithful servants. And remember this too. We're not going to get into so much heavy stuff tonight, but certainly as, as, as we go on here. Remember, his burden is easy. His burden is light. But let's take it serious. All right. So there we go. We've done a little victory lap. Let's dive in and let's... Um, Let's remind ourselves of this. If you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down. It is easy to lose our way. Can I get an amen to that? It's easy to lose our way. I'm a country boy. I was raised on a little hobby farm outside of Hastings, Minnesota, between Hastings and Red Wing. And as a country kid, I've been driving motorized vehicles almost all of my life, since pretty much as long as I could walk. But I'll admit, when I get deep into the city... I will often lose my way. I will come out of a parking ramp and I'll have my GPS all set to get me home and there's that period of time where it'll fire up and it'll say, proceed to the route. To which I will say sometimes out loud, if I knew of said route, I would not be plugging this thing in to be asking for your help. And one of the reasons, you can see I got a little emotional there, is because I've got a little bit of PSTD all mixed in in here. Because it goes back to when me and my buddies, we took a road trip to Minneapolis. I was 16 in my 65 Cheville, three on the tree, AM radio. It's me, Pete, and Gully. And we are on a road trip to try to find a thrift store. Now, back in the day, thrift stores were very hard to find. There were very few of them. But we needed some cheap clothes because we were going to Boundary Waters. So we're on our way to find this thrift store, and I have this thing called a map. Many of you may know what a map is. If, if, if you don't, it's um, this thing before your, our phones could, could bring it all up and then auto-update. There were these things on paper that, that we would look at. Well, here's the thing. I had a 65 Cheville. I think that map was older than my car. Um, I do know this. The, it, the map was so old that, does anyone remember the Metrodome? Anyone remember that? Okay. That is the stadium that predates the U.S. Bank Stadium. So my map didn't have the Metrodome on it. Only I didn't know that because, I, you know, I don't know the cities, right? So I come driving up, and I remember Gully, my navigator, he's like, go straight, go straight, go straight. I'm like, I cannot go straight. There is a dome stadium in my way. And it went downhill from there. And so I'm dealing with all of that, right? And, and I would imagine if, if we were on a big Zoom call right now with all of us and we were having some conversations, I bet everybody would have a story, right, of, of how we got lost on some trip somewhere. And then after sharing that for a while, if some people felt it was a safe enough place, we could probably share some stories of how we've lost our way in more serious ways, too. How we got caught up in the wrong crowd, 
we were dating the wrong person and we started making small compromises that led to bigger ones. Or somewhere we went from drinking responsibly to really having a problem with our drinking. Or for so many of us, working hard became working all the time. We all could come up with stories, I think, of times when we've lost our way. It's easy. It's easy to lose your way. And that's true for individuals, and it's true for organizations, too. Sports teams, for kids. So many of them have lost their way, and it's way too expensive, or it's way too intense. Businesses. You ever worked with a business that seems to have forgot it's about the customers? Politicians. (laughs) I don't even want to get started with that one. Anyone concerned about the direction that it seems many public schools are heading? Or the direction that it seems many of our cities are heading? It's easy to lose our way. And here's the thing about losing our way. I want to invite you to write this down too. We often fail to realize that we're losing our way until we're already what? Until we're already lost. When I was typing that out, I could think of example after example after example of times when I could see someone heading down a path and you know where that path is heading and you want to try to tell them, I can tell you where you're going to end up if you stay with that person or if you keep going that direction you're going. You are in the early stages of addiction. You see someone on that predictable path and you know it's going to cause so much pain, it's going to cause so much regret and they don't see it. And then one of the things that's especially hard for so many of us, if you're a person of faith, is when you see someone, they're putting more and more distance between themselves and God, themselves in God's guidance, themselves in God's word. And that's so hard. And it's also really hard to blame them because you look around and so many of their examples are of people who have lost their way. I, I've mentioned before that my, my news feed, one of my news feeds is the category of Christianity and there's never a good story in that category on that news feed. Maybe you saw some of this, some of you saw this one. Story about a high profile church whose celebrity pastor expensed a $150,000 vacation. Charged it to the church. He's the same married pastor who said, yes, I remember being in that hotel room with that woman who's accusing me of inappropriate behavior, but hey, I don't remember what happened because I had been drinking too much. (laughs) How, How does that happen? It happens one step at a time. One step at a time. And that's how many churches lose their way to. Churches, we lose our way like that. There are so many churches where what started as a sincere pursuit of holiness, sincere desire, let's, let's honor God, becomes that Pharisee thing that we did a series on in the fall. Or a church on the other end of the continuum says, it starts off, we have compassion, we have love, but that becomes, we're now affirming things that the Bible puts a guardrail around. You can lose your way step by step, even with good intentions. And one of the reasons 
that I'm pointing these things out is because we can point fingers right at ourselves. I can point fingers at myself. Let me tell you a story here. Every new members class, I tell this story. Every new members class, now I tell this story. Of our very first service at Chippewa Middle School, we wanted to make sure that we were going to be ready for the big moment. So we got everything all ready. We said, let's, we're going to have a Sunday service. Let's rent it out on Saturday. On Saturday afternoon, we're going to rent it. We're going to set up all of our equipment. We're going to set up all of our stuff so that we know come Sunday we're going to be ready. So we did this. We were launching in September, Chippewa Middle School. We did this not thinking, what's a Saturday at Chippewa Middle School going to look like in September? That place was packed. There was so much going on. And as we're trying to set up and test all our stuff, including in hallways, because that's where we did our kids' ministry, I remember thinking, this would be so much easier if it wasn't for all these people. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, that was in here? That was in here? That is so anti-Great Commission. That is so lost. That is so... Who we don't know how lost we are often until we stop and reflect. It's so easy to lose our way. So easy that we don't often realize we're losing our way until already lost. But there's hope. I want to invite you to write down this helpful reminder. We're not the first to lose our way. We are not the first to lose our way. And this new teaching series is a great follow-up to After Yes. In that series, we said here are six categories of Christian discipleship. Here are milestones. Here are next steps. We had a lot of great principles. This is nitty-gritty here. This, this, I don't know if people say that anymore, but this is like detailed. This is real-life stuff. This is practical, concrete teaching that we're going to see in this book. Here are some examples, the kind of topics that we're going to come across as we work our way through 1 Corinthians. And why don't you think, see for yourself, do any of these sound relevant to us or our churches today. Division and conflict. Is it ever okay to pass judgment on someone else? If so, when? How do you balance the needs of individuals with the needs of the group? What is real love? Does the Bible put restrictions on women that it doesn't put on men? Does the Bible put restrictions on men that it doesn't put on women? Will there be a real afterlife? If so, what will our resurrected bodies look like? How do we leave spiritual immaturity behind? What Holy Communion is and isn't. Principles for God-honoring worship services. Who's the Holy Spirit? What are spiritual gifts? What is speaking in tongues? Is prophecy for real? And if so, how do you discern? A legitimate prophecy from something that isn't. How about these topics? What does the Bible say about sex outside of marriage? What does the Bible say about sex inside of marriage? What does the Bible say about singleness? What does the Bible say about separation, divorce? Any of these relevant today? This is a partial sample. Well, then if you have your Bible with you, let's get started. I want to invite you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible at home, you can download a great free Bible app. Just go to Bible.com. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. We're just going to do the introduction today. And it starts like this. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. All right, this letter was written by a historical figure. We know him as the Apostle Paul. And Paul is the poster boy for someone who had lost his way. He had been all about religion. He was all in. But somehow, he along the way got convinced that honoring God meant throwing followers of Jesus in prison. 
he had lost his way so much that he was standing there as they were executing a follower of Jesus by stoning. He had lost his way. This encounter that he had with Christ had turned Paul around. And now what he does, he offers this spirit-breathed introduction from the position of a practitioner. Let's go back to our, ver our text, verse 2. Paul writes these things to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Paul addresses this letter to people in every place that call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, starting with a church that he had planted in a city called Corinth. Now, you're going to find crossover here between this letter and a book of Acts. You can read about how they got introduced in Acts 18. We find out later, um, or I try to piece things together, that Paul spent about a year and a half at Corinth. He was teaching people about Jesus. He was planning a church. And if we could bring up the map, Mike, here's where Corinth is located. Many of you have heard of the ancient cities of Athens. You've heard of the ancient city of Sparta. Corinth was right there in the mix. We also included the ancient city of Ephesus, where many scholars believe Paul was when he wrote this letter. Corinth was originally a Greek city, but that Greek city got destroyed in 146 BC in a war with Rome. So the city gets refounded then as a Roman colony in 44 BC. It's a Roman colony with Greek roots. And it's kind of hard to see on this map, but go ahead and, and look at some other maps and look a closer, take a closer look. It is such a strategically located city. Travelers who are going north and south by land are cutting through it. If you're going east and west by sea, you're cutting through it. So as a result, Corinth became one of the major urban centers of the ancient world. It was one of the most culturally and religiously diverse cities anywhere. Corinth was a place where social status mattered a lot, where people were constantly jumping on the bandwagon of, ooh, new thought, new idea, something shiny. It was an exciting world-class city. And the young church was wrestling with a whole lot of questions, like how do we do this faith in the midst of all of this? They were dealing with division, social snobbery, there was a whole lot of confusion about what parts of the culture were okay, which parts are off limits. Lots of confusion around sex, marriage, and divorce. Lots of confusion around religious matters, like what should a worship service look like? Which Old Testament laws still apply? Again, any of that sound relevant today? Well, Paul, as we just saw, he addressed the letter to God's church. That word translated here as church is the Greek word ekklesia. In that time and in that place, ecclesia was a word that just basically meant assemblies. And what Paul did, what Jesus did, is they, they started using that word as a very specific kind of assembly, a Christ community. Paul even says, he says, I'm writing to the assembly that I believe should look different. He writes to an assembly that he says has been sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints. These two words, he's writing the Greek language, these two words are very closely related. Sanctified comes from a verb that means to make holy, and the word saint is a noun that means holy people. So Paul is writing to people who are set apart for God's service, along with, he says, all those in every place, in every place, who are called 
who call upon the name of Jesus. All right, let's finish the opening here, verses 3 through 9. Let's finish the opening that Paul has. Grace to you, he says, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you till the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. All right, so I want to show you something about this. As we go back, can you go to the next slide, Mike? And in this slide, we highlight the word Christ. Look at this, just the first three verses... Look how many times the word Christ is used. Christ, 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 Christ. Three verses in, we already got our Christ count at four. Let's go to the next section. If we look at the next six verses, it, he does the same thing. Christ, 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 Christ. If I did my counting right, in nine verses, we've got nine uses of Christ. This is the introduction. Clearly, clearly, this is a letter that is focused on and anchored to the example and teaching of whom? Christ. Paul is trying to show people if you're among the sanctified saints, let's talk about what that means. Let's talk about what that looks like. Let's talk about a life in a community that is truly, authentically Christ-centered. All right, so quickly to recap. We got a person who had once lost his way. He's speaking to a culture or a church that had not been planted all that long ago. That church is in a culture much like our own, and here are people who are experiencing confusion where there should have been clarity and confidence in things that they possibly should have been repenting of. So here's a question as we're beginning this series to really think about. If a church founded by Paul himself could struggle keeping their way, finding their way in a culture that's a lot like ours, is it possible that this letter might have something to say to us? Rhetorical question. So here's my challenge for all of us during this series. Let's rediscover the way of Jesus. And not just like flippant level. Let's do this. Let's, let's rediscover the way of Jesus. Because it's not a matter of if we have confusion where there should be clarity. It's not a matter of if We've got confidence in some things that we should be repenting of. It's a matter of what they are. What they are. And what are we going to do about it? I love how N.T. Wright says this. He goes, when a new world is born, a new way of living goes with it. So true. God is gathering people at our church from all kinds of backgrounds to form a new kind of community. Whether you're new to the faith or whether you've been walking with Jesus for decades, I got the same challenge to all of us. Let's either commit or recommit to honestly, humbly sitting at Paul's feet as we read this spirit-breathed letter. And let's do it with an open heart, an open mind. It's a narrow road, but it's the one we want to be on. In this week's ECC mail, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to... Um, I'm going to lay out some resources because there's just so much great stuff out there. We'll, re out, we'll lay out some of the ones we've recommended before. We'll let some new ones. One of the ones we've recommended before, I'll give you links to this, but 
Um, we've talked about the Bible Project before. It's got some great stuff. It's got a great overview of the book. I went there this morning to rewatch the overview of 1 Corinthians. Do you know what I found on that site? I think it's new. They have an entire new teaching suite of resources on 1 Corinthians. 23 sessions, 13 hours of teaching, Bible teaching on 1 Corinthians. For those of you that know the site, go find it. For those that don't, I, again, I'll send a link in this week's ECC mail. Go to man.church slash next for that. All right. Well, there's so much could be said. I just wanted to get us started here this, this week. Um, as we bring it to a close, let me circle back where we started. We are about to begin a journey with some really challenging content. We are all going to be confronted with idols that we have, blind spots along the way, as individuals and as a church. So here's the last thing I want to invite you to write down. As that weight starts to feel heavy, as we start to feel that conviction, remember, Christ came to what? Seek and save who? The lost. As you start to feel that conviction, remember, it's a loving God who welcomes you home. Have you ever heard of those little kids that get lost in the woods? You ever heard about those stories? I saw it firsthand. My little brother, Ben, we were in the Rockies, off the grid. He got lost in the Rocky Mountains. When he got found, what do you think our reaction was? Hey, you, you never should have got lost. Our reaction was, we are so glad. Brother Ben has been found. What does the scripture say? That heaven does when the lost are <laughs> found, they are welcome home. It rejoices. Know that there is one who wants to rejoice over you. So we're going to get sealed this time together and launch this series with a brand new song. We're going to be introducing some great new songs in this series. This is one of those, and Pastor Jason is going to tell you all about it.